Welcome back to Mixing It Up on 100.7 FM and 1340 AM. Tickets. Time for the Great Raft Brewing Happy Hour. And this Sunday, a special Sunday at Great Raft, a huge fundraiser for Camp Tiger. Four bands, including Shaliff and Logan and the Legendaries. And I'm looking forward to Great Raft. It's very rare for them to open the tap room on Sunday, and so they're opening it for this big event. And I'm looking forward to spending some time over there on Sunday at the all-new Great Raft Tap Room. 318-595-1007, the Randolph Smith with Rialta text line. We're now joined on the Paul McMurray State Farm Insurance Hotline by our good friend, the Reverend Deuce Windham, uh, to, to catch up on, talk a bunch of football stuff. We're going to talk some Saints, the folding of the American Athletic, or the American Alliance of Football, I apologize, and the NFL Draft. And Deuce, I know you've been a little under the weather lately. Uh, welcome back to Mixing It Up. How are you? Feeling better, man. Yeah, glad to be here. Uh, football hasn't stopped, and then we got this crazy, you know, kick yesterday. So, uh, yeah, a lot to keep up with. Yeah, and there is, and we'll start on that front. Actually, before we do that, I want to thank the official steakhouse of mixing it up immense. Two John Steak and Seafood. They're special this week. The Chilean Sea Bass, Winston Hall, the Piano Man is going to be playing some tunes from five to ten tonight. Happy hour four to seven, and it is Ladies' Night at Two John Steak and Seafood. Well, there's, like I said, a bunch of stuff to get to on this call. We hadn't had you on in a few weeks. And let's start uh, first with the, the sad news of the folding of the AAF. And I know you were one of the people beating the drum for the AAF, and the product wasn't that bad, but apparently the just business model was. Uh, was. Well, as Darren Roble said, this is what happened when you take, you know, money from the wrong type of investors. And, you know, they went with Reggie Fowler first, and then Tom Dundon here this second time. And, uh, Dundon, uh, as many people have kind of come out and said, that he really kind of bought the technology, so to speak, uh, that they were developing and then took his money and ran. That's some of the things that are coming out now. And we'll, we'll find out if that's true over Tuesday or whatever. But, you know, you got to be careful. And, you know, the, the model was working. You know, the, the fans were paying attention. The ratings had stayed up consistently. I mean, they hadn't dropped off after that first weekend. People were enjoying those first eight weeks of football. But uh, they just didn't have the money to keep it going. Well, it was just the whole thing was an odd story because they had the Carolina Hurricanes owner, you know, coming in with what two hundred fifty million to, to bail them out or whatever, and now they just shut down the operations. I mean, it's just kind of sad because I want—I I like seeing competition, and there were a lot of big names in it, and it's just kind of a bummer because you know the product wasn't really all that bad, and it's—I hate to see that they don't even get to finish the first season. Yeah, Tom Dundon, the uh, Hurricanes owner, came in and they said, "Hey, we'll fund it," and uh, he decided to pull that yesterday and took a lot by surprise you know obviously a lot of the af were disappointed the front office were disappointed but i said you know this is part of being a startup and you know if your investors pull out on you before you can really stabilize as a business so you don't really have much of a shot i mean we have to keep in mind even though there's a lot of planning here the af is still less than a year old and um, now you got a lot of people without a job right now well, just such a weird story too that the, the poor—I mean, the poor, poor is the wrong term—but the players, they don't even—they're not even giving them plane tickets home. These guys are, you know, out there risking their bodies for their livelihood. It's almost, you know, Moody. You compared it to Firefest. Uh, the yeah. there's this big music fest that got hyped up uh, that they did documentaries on that didn't happen. It's almost kind of similar to that. It's it's just very odd. Yeah, I mean, it definitely sucks, but, you know, that's also what happens when the guy paying the checks freezes everything. I mean, you can't really, you know, if there's no more bank account, then you can't really write a check to fly anybody home. And so it's a terrible situation. And, you know, uh, hopefully we'll get answers and more details. But, you know, right now it, it just looks really bad for everybody involved. And, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll see some of the, you know, the 
reporters, you know, people like myself who went to the AAF hoping to really spring on their career, took a chance, and they got let down. Players got let down. And um, yet the XFL now is hopefully the landing spot for some of these names that had a really good season. Yeah, and I want to get to that next, Deuce. Is this a good thing or a bad thing for the XFL? My my, you know, initial reaction was, hey, if this league's folding, it's going to be bad news for the XFL. But the more I sit back and I think about it, it's starting to feel like, hey, this is a great thing because there was, you know, at least enough initial intrigue for the AAF. Now the XFL will have a chance to maybe steal some of those coaches and those players. Do you believe this is a good or a bad omen for the XFL? It depends on what the XFL wants to do here, because I think the business model in terms of the cities that the XFL has placed themselves in, things like that, is not as sound as what the AF did. AF picked cities that did not have teams. They were in Memphis and in Birmingham, and they seem to get a lot of support because of that. Whereas the XFL is picking places like Dallas, you know, that already have got big exposure, big teams, professional uh, clubs, and everything. But there's one advantage that I feel like the XFL was always going to have over the AF, but and really too is they're going to have much better marketing with Vince McMahon and the WWE Empire. They can market just as good as anybody out in the business where there are still people to this day as good as the AFF product was had no idea it, was, it even existed. I mean, there was still to this past week I was talking to people who weren't aware that there was football being played right now. And then from the other standpoint is you probably have run into the same potential you know, issue with investors with McMahon and his team running the XFL as you know, we ran into here with the AAF, so they should have a more solid platform, but I do think they should copy a lot of the business model that the AAF was trying to run in terms of a football franchise. Overall, when you look back, and I guess Steve Spurrier goes down as the all-time AAF, uh, you know, most winning coach, you know, what, what did you think about the product on the field? I thought it was good. I thought it was a perfect blend between college and professional level. And there were times where you, know, you could watch some of the quarterbacks and go, woof, that is that's not Drew Brees out there. But, you know, it was very entertaining. I think that a lot of the, you know, even some good changes we've had here in the NFL, these recent rule changes are helped being spurred on by the fact that we saw some of those improvements in the Alliance of American Football. And even ideas that were suggested at the recent NFL uh, annual owners meeting, you know, things like having a, you know, a chance to go for it instead of doing an onside kick, getting it in on fourth down situation as a 35, something that was proposed to the NFL that they shot down, but just the new ideas came, you know, or helping push the NFL to be a better product. I think having that type of league is a must. And I think that the product spoke for itself in terms of the fact that, you know, you were seeing 500, 600,000, you know, views on these games every single weekend and it never really tapered off there was consistent attention given to the league and you know there was some success there in terms of ratings and everything from a tv standpoint so the xfl sliding into that slot next year especially if they can pick up the same tv deals you have to think that that continues i mean we've reached the point i think where america's pastime might no longer be baseball but it's football and people want it every day every month all year long well I know that they got that that owner the, that bailed them out, but what what the hell happened before that? I mean, they started playing the games and didn't have someone that was going to pay these guys checks. Well, one of the original investors was Reggie Fowler, and you know, there's been a lot of things that have gone on behind. Uh, there's been talks of you know some of the disagreements where you know people who were getting involved with the XFL and that they were stealing ideas and 
you know, talk of lawsuits there. And, and there was a lot of that behind the door stuff that always seems to happen where there's big money and big politics. And, you know, while the product of the field seemed to be stable and guys like Steve Spurrier were having a great time, there seemed to be a lot of instability behind closed doors. And the initial investment didn't seem to last. And that's why they had a sudden cash flow problem. And then Tom Dunnan obviously only lasted, you know, what, a month before he ended up pulling his number out. So, you know, it's just simple as that. Big-name investors didn't stick with them. Well, it's kind of a shame, but I, I agree with what you're saying, that I think that the XFL is going to be set up in a, a great position to succeed. Now they won't be fighting with them over players. Uh, I thought that was very short-sighted of the owners say, oh, we're folding because it's not an NFL developmental league. You knew the NFL wasn't going to help them out. I mean, I, I couldn't believe that he really thought they would. Well, I think, you know, the NFL at some point would have been more willing. And I think a good, you know, open hand in all of branch was the fact that, you know, they were putting these games on the NFL network and, you know, helping promote it. But the NFL is not going to just jump in and save the ship. There's got to be some stability there because the owners of the NFL are not going to risk their money and their hundreds of millions of dollars for a fledgling company that can't stand on its own two feet. Whatever developmental league comes up has to prove that it can exist on its own before it can prove that it can be part of the NFL and work its way into any type of CBA. You know, so the XFL has a very short window where they can try that and maybe they can shoot to be a developmental league for the NFL. I know that's what the AF wanted, but there was no way the NFL was going to pick them up and, you know, and, and save them by the bootstrap, so to speak, after only being, you know, not even one season in. And you have to think that the NFL, doing their due diligence on all of these things, they knew that there was problems behind the scenes, right? They know that on, on the surface, yeah, the games look good, everything's nice, but the NFL was not fooled into thinking that this league was handling everything perfectly behind the scenes. I think that's a big reason why the NFL didn't want to jump into bed with the AAF. Would you agree with that? I mean, yes and no. I mean, there's always stuff that, you know, that goes. I mean, the NFL has its own skeletons in its closet that, you know, don't get talked about and they don't want you to talk about it. And that's the NFL has just reached a point, though, where things that happen can be skirted on the rug because they are the predominant league. I mean, look at the Colin Kaepernick collusion stuff. Kaepernick obviously was colluded against because he settled, and even though the money's undisclosed, the fact that he got a massive settlement that quickly shows that what he said was true. And that's a, you know, a stain on the ownership that was brushed under the rug. Everybody seems to have their skeleton, you know, in professional sports that we've seen in the NBA, the NFL. The NFL is just at that point where it's almost too big to fail, so to speak. The AF didn't have that advantage. You know, they were relying on investors, and if something's going wrong and you're not keeping the right people happy, it's really easy to pull the plug. Well, let's let's switch over and talk about the, the league that we're not worried about the plug being pulled, and that's the NFL. And first, we hadn't had you on in a few weeks, so kind of update on the, the finality of the Saints' offseason free agency moves. And, you know, ultimately they end up getting Jared Cook, two years, $15.5 I'm excited about this move because as Breeze obviously gets older, he likes to throw the backs, he likes to throw the tight ends. And, you know, Cook, I know he had an up-and-down year, but he had some huge games in Oakland last year. You know he's going to be fired up uh, to play with Drew Brees and the Saints. So that, I think this is pretty exciting. Yeah, it's a win-win. I think it's a contract where, you know, Cook probably won a little bit more than he got, but you know, he's still going to the most prolific offense that he's arguably ever been a part of. You know, he was with Aaron Rodgers briefly for one year back in 2016. Only played 10 games. He caught that touchdown career, to beat Dallas in that playoff yeah, game. But his career has been, you know, 
Jeff Fisher, Tennessee Titans, you know, St. Louis, you know, Oakland here recently, and Oakland really being his best year. So he's been a talented player that hasn't played on talented teams. And, you know, we, we talk about these Pro Bowl-level talents. Well, you know, Jimmy Graham's a great example where he'd be an incredible talent, but if you're not in the right situation, you're not going to put up the numbers everybody's expecting, and thus they, you know, they, they say you're not as good. And I think Jared Cook, you're going to look at his career stats, his yearly stats, and say, hey, there's a lot of, you know, average here, but considering where he played, the talent level at times, this is the best spot that he's ever been. And you have to think that he should put up, once again, great numbers like he did last year, which is right under 900 yards, 6 TDs, and called 67% of his passes. Yeah, I love the move for the Saints. And also, just, you know, the biggest thing, and I kept coming back to this, is the fact that the Saints did a good job, you know, with, with the, the contracts, I think, this year. They didn't go out on the first day of free agency and give Jared Cook $10 million a year. They let the market set, and they, you know, thought everything through and you know they end up getting Malcolm Brown on a three-year 15 million dollar deal I thought that was very reasonable uh, the big news too PJ Williams back on a one-year five million dollar deal I'm happy about this he got in a little bit of trouble right after the season and you know the fact they got him on the one-year prove-it deal I mean I, I don't have a problem with that yeah and I hate to call trouble excusable I mean but everybody makes mistakes and I think most people can understand why a lot on the team were pretty upset at the time, I mean, because that, that happened very, very quickly after the NFC Championship debacle. And, you know, he's not a guy that exactly has a ton of red flags for character issues. Wasn't a big problem with the Saints while he's been here for, you know, a few years now. So I think it's a good thing to bring him back when he filled in for Patrick Robertson. I felt he did really well in that nickel spot. He did not excel as an outside boundary type of a corner. Didn't look good on film running that cover three, cover one that they like to run. But, you know, when he had to fill in for Patrick Robinson, we saw a lot of good at him. He was around the ball, made good tackles, and was a reliable guy, and even against the run. So bringing him back on a short deal, I'm sure some of that is incentivized. I'm sure it's not a pure $5 million guarantee type of a contract, knowing Mickey Loomis and how they operate. But it's good for P.J. because it allows him to get another year, and it also lets them see, hey, is this the guy that we want to commit to as the nickelback because Patrick Robinson is getting a little bit older, and now they're having similar contract numbers where maybe they choose for P.J. to be that long-term nickel guy if Patrick Robinson leaves after this year. Well, also, I, there were rumors linking the Saints to Robert Quinn. He ultimately gets traded to the Cowboys. Uh, did you ever think the Saints were going to – how serious was that? Yeah, the Saints definitely had interest, but it comes down to the, the recent trend of uh, the Saints kind of holding their ground when it comes to cost on things. I mean, there was a time you look at your Breezes, his first contract, the second contract, Jimmy Graham, Jarris Bird, where the Saints were willing to dish out major money to get a piece that they felt took them over the edge. I'm not saying that was you know bad strategy. Certainly you want to pay Drew Brees and keep him, but they've been more willing to put a number down and say, hey, we're not moving. And you saw that with Mark Ingram. You saw it with Adamican Sue and Jimmy Graham last year. And you saw it to an extent this year with even Jared Cook, where Cook was on the market for quite some time before finally signing the Saints' offer because that was his best shot. The Saints have simply stuck to their guns. They're not going to overspend. They'd rather have a deep roster than necessarily have a star-studded roster. And I think a part of that is simply from the fact that they struggled so much with injuries in recent years that they might have a star guy, but as soon as they go down, they have to know that they can trust the player behind them. Like, you know, when Patrick Robinson went down, P.J. Williams fills in, or when Sheldon Rankins goes down, David Onyemata is there to fill in. And that's just kind of been their strategy so far, and I like it. I like when they have that money put aside. You had $10 million before P.J. Williams signed. You only need about $3.5 million to sign your draft picks, and you know anything that gets left over you can carry over into next year 
where you really had that bank account wide open. Well, I'd like to ask about the, the wide receiver position for the Saints. Obviously, Mike Thomas going nowhere. Uh, the rest of it, you know, it's it's kind of a work in progress. I think Traquan Smith certainly flashed them and you know had, had a couple of really good games this year, but then was inconsistent. You know, you, Cam Meredith. You know, what will he give them? Can he come back and help them? And uh, you know, what what are your thoughts all, uh, as far as the Saints' wide receiver depth right now? I think it's a Good room that has potential, but there's only one guy that's really a, a known commodity, and that's obviously Michael Thomas. You know, Ted Ginn getting up there in age. Cameron Meredith is, you know, if he can return to that early Bears type of form that we saw, you know, he's an instant lock for the roster, but we never saw that last year. Even in the preseason and early season where he made a few plays, he wasn't 100%. It was evident in his play. You know, Traquan being a rookie, and Keith Kirkwood, for that matter, you have to think that they continue to improve. And historically, in the Saints offense, rookies and players get better in their second year in the Saints offense. I mean, you can go whether that was Devery Henderson's second year with Sean Payton or Lance Moore, Willie Sneed. Everybody seems to grow a little bit in Sean Payton's offense and get better as receivers. And I thought Keith Kirkwood really started to solidify himself as that slot guy towards the end of the year. So there's definitely potential there, but you'd still like to put more names in the hat, still like to draft at least one guy and have more people come into the camp and really provide some competition for that spot because that was obviously a weakness that you didn't have consistency in in most of the season last year. Uh, also, I'm a little concerned just the, the depth on the offensive line. Uh, obviously, Max Hunger retiring. The Saints did move quickly to replace him. But I'm just worried. I mean, can Andrews Peter or, or Armstead get through a full season healthy at this point? So I'm hoping they can bring in a sixth kind of starting lineman like the East Evacenio Kilometre. I know that's definitely one of the goals, and you know, you look at some of the people that we know that they're meeting with here in the draft process, and obviously just because they have a top 30 visit or they have private meetings doesn't necessarily mean they're going to draft those players, but you know, every name from big names like Greg Little, you know, Kayla McCary out of Washington, Ryan Pope, all, all types of offensive linemen that they've had private meetings with are definitely doing their study and due diligence. Uh, Nate Davis out of Charlotte, uh, a private meeting with them, so they're going to try to find that guy. They seem to have a, you know, a good line of success historically finding mid-round talent that they feel like can step up and contribute. And they're also expecting some stuff from Cameron Tom and Will Clapp as those guys continue to grow. We saw both get starting time last year due to injury. Will Clapp filled in with some nice snaps, and then Tom played some, you know, center. And you brought in Nick Easton to play that role as well, Easton being your starting center right now. And you have a couple of young guys that you see as up-and-comers. So definitely want to address it, but this also goes back to kind of the same spot with the wide receiver group. They have brought guys in that they like, and we just have to see if they develop into those type of players. I think Will Clapp and Cameron Tom are both right there. Talking to the Reverend Deuce Wyndham on the Paul McMurray State Farm Insurance Hotline. We're talking some Saints offseason, the AAF folding. And let's also take a look ahead to the NFL draft. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but we're only 22 days out here, Deuce. It's getting real close, man. Three weeks away. You know, uh, hopefully I'll get to come hang out with you guys and, and we'll do some draft coverage. But I can't believe it's already April and that it's already right upon us. It's the time of mock drafts, and we're in about one one week, maybe two weeks, we're going to get sick of the draft, and then we'll wait those final days, and then we'll be consumed with it again, popcorn and drinks around as we wait to see when the Saints move up, because uh, I'm fully expecting them to move up at some point, maybe not the first round, but I'd be surprised if they end the draft with only one pick in the top you know, 120-type picks. 
Uh, got a couple texts here on the Randolph Smith with the Rialta text line, 318-595-1007 from 318. Number says, Saints are aggressive. They will make moves on draft day, and I agree. They do it every year. I mean, the last time the Saints traded back was 2010. I'd have to go back and check it, maybe 2009. They trade up basically every year with Sean Payton and Mickey Loomis together, though, and that's just kind of a staple. And, you know, we're in the same position that the Saints were in last year. I mean, I know a lot of fans like to look at last year's class and say it was a failure, but the truth is there's a lot of good players that the Saints selected that are now on other rosters. Saints simply didn't have room. And this year, do the Saints need six or seven players from the draft, or do they need four or five because they feel like their roster is deep and full? You know, they might be in a position where they can get rid of a couple of those later-round picks and move up and get a guy that they like in, you know, a third or a fourth round instead of waiting for a couple of sixes or a couple of sevens. This is from Kyle from Stonewall. He says, is Des Bryant coming back this year for the Saints? You know, the door is open, but I think one thing that everybody has to remember is he's coming off the same type of injury that, you know, Sheldon Rankin is coming off of, that Alex Okafor came off of, and it took Alex Okafor several weeks into the season after being declared healthy to really find his rhythm. And I think, you know, when it comes to Des, had already missed time. We're talking about him at this point. will be two years out of the league. They're open to it. The door's there. But he's going to have to prove that he can compete. And right now, I would lean more towards no, maybe him being a during-the-season type guy, uh, addition. But just based on when he had that injury, it's hard to see him ready to go here in the next couple of months and contributing in camp to fight for a roster spot. Let's turn our attention now to the NFL draft. Uh, like I said, coming up in 22 days, it's going to be very. Gosh, I just can't believe it's. Uh, it just time just goes so fast. I say it all the time on the show. I guess I just need to get used to it because we just blink and time is flying. Uh, or do you expect Kyler Murray to be the first overall pick of the Arizona Cardinals? Right now, I am, and you know, uh, it's still kind of a shock to me because it's really unprecedented. You. You're going to be talking about if Rosen, because if you pick Murray, why do you keep Rosen? So if Rosen moves on, the first time that I've found in roughly 20 years going back in draft history where a quarterback was selected in, in the first round and one year later was kicked off the team. And we found a couple of other you know, players, second, third round where that's happened here or there, but a highly touted guy with a great draft profile and a lot of teams loving him to possibly go from the Cardinals this soon. And can't really put a lot of that blame on him either. I mean, he, he, that was a horrible situation he was in, and apparently ownership isn't bought into him. But if they do go the Murray route, it'd be interesting to say, see where Rosen actually ends up in all this and you know, have a new quarterback in the Arizona Cardinals uniform. Yeah, the Rosen thing's interesting too because, you know, I know a lot of people not sold on the quarterback class in this draft. I mean, if you can, you know, if you still think Rosen has high upside and you can get him for a second or third round pick, he's only a year into the league. I mean, that's going to make a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, if he he can get it for a third-round pick, it's an incredible steal. And I don't know a single scout that I've spoken to that has any of this year's quarterbacks graded as high as Rosen was graded last year. And, in fact, most of the quarterbacks in this year's class will be graded below a lot of the guys from last year, like Mayfield and Rosen, and and even some having them less than, you know, Josh Allen. So I think Rosen definitely still has value. If you could get him for a third or a second, it's a huge steal. You get a guy that has starter experience in the league now. You're talking about a position, at quarterback, that takes usually three years to develop. Look at Jared Goff and Carson Wentz, how everybody called them failures after one year, and then, lo and behold, we're talking about, potential MVP level play for him. And then you've got 
the, the aspect of the contract where he'll be on a rookie deal. And how can you not want to live with that, a young player you could potentially build with? And, you know, if the Saints were able to trade for him, I'd love to see Rosen get you know an option there to fight for the post-Drew Brees era, which is soon to come. Yeah, yeah, I would love that too, especially if you could learn from Drew. I'm ecstatic to see. I want Kingsbury and the Cardinals to take Murray, though, because I want to see Kingsbury bringing that Big 12, that college offense to the NFL with Murray. And I just, the experiment is is fascinating to me. So I'm pulling for it. Experiment's fascinating, sure, but I still don't see, even though uh, I think Murray has some positives to him, I don't think that he's at the same level coming out of college that Rosen was. And Murray's not going to fix that offensive line, the lack of weapons. You know, play calling, hopefully upgrading, would definitely help him out. But, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out here early, and especially if he gets some footing under him in the second half of the season to really see what Murray can do and what that Cardinals offense can do. Do you like uh, Haskins of Ohio State or Daniel Jones of Duke more? Oh, um, well, I don't have a first-round grade for any quarterback. So <laughs> okay. It depends on what you really mean by like. I think that there's some quality um, – development that you can do with these guys that you gave them time. I mean, last year there were several individuals that I felt that if they sat for a little bit, even if it's just a few games to get, a, you know, introduced to the system and have time that they would, you know, come in and start excelling. And you saw Josh Allen look better second half of the season. Mayfield having some time to sit early came out and looked good. And I think that guys like Drew Locke and Jones have potential that you can groom them. The Saints have put a lot of interest in Will Greer here in the process. But there's really nobody that I would like if I was a a coach that I'd want to draft and start day one. But they all have unique things about them that, you know, intrigue you and think that you can develop into that guy to run your offense. Well, I'm going to save a lot of the rest of our NFL draft coverage with you because we're going to have you back every Wednesday. And uh, just always great to have you on the Paul McMurray State Farm Insurance. And just glad to hear you're feeling better. I love the Hoodat Confessional Podcast. Y'all follow Deuce on Twitter at Rev Deuce Wyndham. Uh, Just like I say, I always say such positive stuff, man. You know your football. And, you know, Moody and I are pretty selective of who we have on here, and we love having you on every week. Well, I appreciate it, Ben. Thanks again to the Reverend Deuce Wyndham. We're going to take a quick